0: attention attention please the camp ojibla history podcast is on the air And welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week on the podcast, our guest, Ned Zalek. Dr. Ned Zalek, Camp Doctor Extraordinaire. If you don't know Ned, you probably have just never been to camp. Ned has been a permanent fixture at camp since the 60s. He started as a camper, went on to be a staff man, took a brief respite of a couple years, you know, for med school and whatnot, and basically has been back ever since. Ned and I sit down in the old Camp Ojibwa podcast headquarters and had a great talk. He tells me a lot about his experiences at camp, and we follow up because Ned is the First of two generations of campers, because he has three, one, two, three boys, all at Camp Ojibwa, two of which are still there, as staff men now. And as if that's not enough, his lovely wife, Cindy, also gets an opportunity here and there to play a prominent role at camp. You'll hear more about that during the episode. Before we get to that, quick update on the Camp Ojibwa History Project National Tour. Tonight we find ourselves in Concordia, Kansas. Now I'm going to go ahead and guess you've never been to Concordia, Kansas, because No one else has either. I'm not trying to rip on Kansas. I'm sure it's lovely. I just haven't found the lovely part yet. I spent three hours today driving on backward country roads. But nonetheless, Kansas is in all its glory, and I'm loving every second of it. There'll be more to come about those stories. But for now, let's get to the show. Here we go. Ned Zalek on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. Close the door on a short night. Lift the lid on the daylight. 6
1: night. West Tennessee time. And I buy all my days. At the same place where the girl sells her
0: nights. To God of ocean tides. So first and foremost, for the record, please state your name and yours at camp. I feel like I'm in a
1: deposition or something. <laughs> uh, my name is Ned Zalek. And I started camp in uh, June of 1966 when I was nine years old. Wow. And I've been back almost every year.
0: Nice. Uh, what was the end of your sort of camper slash staff years?
1: Gosh, I'd have to go through the, uh, the finger counting cabin three, five, seven, nine, 12, 13, 13, then JC for two years. Then I was a senior counselor for uh, probably three, four years, and then I had to take off a couple of years in medical school and residency. And then I came back as camp doctor, and I continue to come up to Eagle River every year since since that
0: time. How did you first know about Camp Ojibwe?
1: Denny Rosen is my brother. My half-brother we have the same mother and denny is 16 years older than me Hmm. so when he was uh 20 18 i was you know 16 years younger my mother had two previous sons and then me my father is um i'm i'm his only child Hmm. so i was kind of raised as uh as a entitled child and a protected child and maybe a little overprotected child from um, the Jewish mother that Denny and I had. I see. So when when I turned seven, eight, nine, Denny started telling my mother about camp would be a great place for me Mm. and that it would help get me out of my shell because I was the kid who took piano lessons and had the stamp collection and the coin collection and the train tracks in the living room, (laughs) okay? Sure. And um, I really wasn't a sports uh, nut. I wasn't great at things. I was um, more into doing things by myself. Didn't have a lot of friends growing up. I was sent to a private school because the public school wasn't good enough Mm, for me. Sure. So um, finally, Denny was able to persuade my mother to let me come to camp. So that's how I knew about camp. Got on the bus at Dyke Stadium in Evanston in 1966. I think there was one other kid who I knew. But um,
0: where did you live at the t- like neighborhood wise? Where were you from?
1: I lived in East Rogers Park. Danny and I grew up in East Rogers Park um, around Albion and Sheridan, and um, so Evanston was straight north of us. Mm-hmm. At that time, I think there was um, three buses from Dyke Stadium, one or two from the Adler Planetarium. I don't know for sure, but I guess there was a number of kids coming from Chicago proper or South Shore. And then um, coming up to camp, I got off the bus and they told me cabin three. (laughs) So that was it. it. That was it. There it
0: is. What's the first thing you remember about camp?
1: I um, met a kid by the name of Jimmy Gilbert, who um, he and I were friends throughout the first few years of camp. Hmm. I, uh, I wasn't always great at sports. I'm still not great at sports. Um, so I actually was the youngest kid who was picked for the Ojibwa Chorus oh. at the time. Wow. And the, uh, the music directors at that time, other than Elliot, were, um, I believe it was Lou Fletcher. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Lou Mager was there at the time or Paul James. But um, yeah, and I thought being on stage at camp was, was great because I, I liked acting and I liked singing. And I was really pretty good at it yeah. at the time. And I was... Picked to do solos, wow. and you know, for a little kid, nine years old, turned ten during camp, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was, it was good stuff. I felt like it was real theater.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's tough with the the really young ones because it's just hard for them to learn words. Hard hard to you know right. put all that in your head. And...
1: Right. Oh, I remember trying to memorize my words each night
0: yeah. with
1: a flashlight. <laughs> you know, and there was nobody else in my cabin in the Jubilee. So in those days on Tuesdays was trip day. So mm. everybody went and tripped and we stayed back and, um, and rehearsed all day. Oh, wow. You know, and we had, did we have lunch at camp? I think we did, but we had a special trip to town. Mm. Just the, just the Jubilee.
0: They got their own private trip. To yeah. Camp. We had yep.
1: our own private trip to town Nice uh, after the, jubilee cuz there was no four week sessions at that time. Right. It was all So eight the jubilee weeks.
0: just happened on the four, on the middle week. And was it also visiting weekend? It was visiting moment? day. Oh right. It's just one day.
1: There was no visiting weekend. The parents came in Saturday, I believe it was Saturday morning, and left Saturday night.
0: Mm. And that was it. They could take you out of camp during the day, but they would have to bring you back is that how it um, works? Or, or can they just stay at camp? I think we could
1: leave Camp. I don't remember for mm. sure. I do remember that cabin fourteen was the dad's lodge, mm-hmm. and that about two weeks into camp, um, I get a call over the loudspeaker. They they did have the loudspeaker back then. I don't know when that started, but to come to the come to the office. Mm. So. Um, I come to the office, and they tell me to go back to my cabin, that there's somebody there who wants to see me. So I'm running to my cabin, and it was my dad. Sure. Who had come up to to visit, and he was staying in the dad's lodge. But you
0: had no idea.
1: I had no idea. And I see my dad, and, and I run around to the back door and came in the back door of the cabin, And my dad said, why why didn't you come in the front door? I said, because I let the door slam, and my counselors wouldn't let me come in the front door. (laughs) So I had to come in the back door. Okay? Other things that may have annoyed our counselors were um, met with strict punishments at that time. Sure. Such as, I don't know if this is okay to say, but holding our arms out and then placing one or two or three bats on our arms and holding our arms out perpendicular to our body to hold the bats for as long as they had us hold the bats. Um, (laughs) That's rough. We had to make their beds. We had to clean the counselor's porch. Um, I had, I in order to get a ride on a boat Mm. was allowed to sweep the the, um, the shack, the waterfront shack. <laughs> wow. We had a couple of guys there. Um, at the time when I was first growing up, a fella named Marty Saltzman mm-hmm. and another fella named Marty Saul, S-O-L-L. Oh. And, and then I believe after that or before that was Harry Arkey. Mm. And they slept in the shack, and I swept out their shack to get a boat ride. And they had the pretty clean shack by the end of the summer
0: <laughs> I'm sure
1: so yeah,
0: it's funny the things uh, one of the things we talk about is the sort of currency of camp the things that are valuable at camp oh right
1: <laughs> right canteen oh can we used to have canteen I'm jumping around but That's we would good, leave yeah. the mess hall after dinner mm-hmm. and on either side of head staff by the doors the front doors um, there would be four or five boxes of different candies Hmm. set up. Did you hear this before? No, no, go ahead. Yeah, so um, we would each take one, and Pearl would sit there, Al's wife would sit there, and watch to make sure we only took one. She would also watch as we came into the mess hall to make sure our hands were clean. Hmm. Coming into each meal, we'd have to show both sides of our hands to make sure they were clean, and if they weren't, we had to go out and wash our hands. (laughs) So canteen was often taken away if we were too loud. In the mess hall, and uh, when we were too loud, there was a red light that would be flipped on. That I believe might still be there.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I maybe I don't know not. If their light works. That light
1: may not work, but yeah. the buzzer. Is the the buzzer, buzzer. The buzzer is still there. The buzzer would be buzzed when um, we were really kind of rambunctious.
0: <laughs> I don't think the buzzer has the power that it once had. I no. think I think age has worn it down a little bit. Age but, may uh, have
1: worn it down, but also yeah. the mess hall has grown. Yes, as you know. Um, outward towards uh, Diamond 1.
0: Right, making it just a little easier for those lefties. Yes, there were
1: (laughs) plenty broken windows during our time as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the mess hall. You know, when it would rain, we would have songs to sing. Mm. Um, One of our music directors would play the piano, and we would sing fight songs and other songs that go back years through the years of uh, that were sung in the jubilee.
0: Yeah, was there? Uh, I've always wondered about that. Was there some sort of a, like a songbook or something, or did people just know? There were sheets of paper. It gotcha. was never really put together in a book. Gotcha. Um,
1: speaking of the piano, I remember vividly announcing the winners of Collegiate Week. You've probably heard this. Mm. The fellows who played piano were amazing at blending the fight songs they would start to play one fight song and as the team got excited and started to sing he would merge into another song (laughs) and it was just crazy it was it was really great
0: we still do a variation of that today and i it's it's one of the hardest things to describe to a stranger about Mm -hmm, camp mm -hmm. how intense that is because oh. you cannot do it justice by just saying like, "Well, yeah, so he switches it up, and then they get in. you can't do it justice for what's happening in that room during mm-hmm. those moments it is.
1: towards Ooh. the end of camp in the mess hall, there was um banquet night mm. banquet night was a night when everyone would get dressed up like a Friday night dinner and they would serve a tremendous dinner it was all all the tables were waited on it during these years sure and um At the end of or middle of dinner, it was um, Elliot. Elliot has always been Elliot in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. He had a reel-to-reel tape recorder where he recorded tidbits of what went on at camp. And we would hear that, and then they would read... Oh, perhaps this is another night. There was a birthday night where he would read the birthday poem. And the birthday poem was about six or eight pages of, um, stuff, some nice, some not so nice stuff about various members at camp. And he would read one paragraph and then somebody like, um, George Kerman would read a paragraph and then it morphed into, you know, Elliot and Nock Mm. and, um... They would read the birthday poem.
0: The birthday poem hasn't got a, gotten a lot of press on the uh, podcast yet, So that, but that was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was sort of the year in review. Every birthday poem is printed in The Warrior. I used to love
1: it, and I was mentioned a couple of times, um, so it's always fun. You wait to hear for your name. So it, not
0: everyone is Not mentioned.
1: everyone is mentioned, and that's probably part of the reason why it was um, gotten mm-hmm. rid of and also some of the nasty things that may have been said. Sure. Over the years. But each one is um, printed in its entirety in the old Warriors. Awesome. So the old Warriors probably went away in, was it around
0: 1980? They actually, uh, they stay the old style until 90, maybe 90 or 91. And then they go to a black and white with photos. Okay. And then 98 seven or eight, they become a hard cover that's color and it's more about the photos than mm-hmm. the than the details. And then that basically is what we, it's more or less what we have today. We have a soft cover now but it's basically just colorful and photos now and it's not the warrior of old that was really a factual review of the summer's events. Um I've actually talked to the guys from Medicine Man. I want to try to do an online version that is like the old warrior but modern day. So Because okay. it's really okay. cool. Like you said, the whole birthday poem's in there but like, Every camper's name is listed every with camper's every name with
1: their nickname or made-up name and a little spiel about them.
0: Right. That's all in there. <coughs> Important dates at camp. Even down to like, hey, we had movie night again this year, and these are the movies we watched, and things right. like that. Right, and Circus Day,
1: and um, what was it, Treasure, treasure uh, Hunt? Gold Rush Gold Day. Gold Rush mm-hmm. Day, right.
0: Right, and just all these great details that really flesh out how that mm-hmm. summer was. Counselor Hunt which
1: I don't think we do anymore.
0: Not so much. Occasionally we'll bring it out, for a, but it's a pretty low-key thing these days. It's a quick 20-minute activity.
1: Well, we we spoke about Steve Katz earlier. Steve Katz at camp, his reputation, well, he had a couple of things that I remember Steve Katz for. One was um, his ability to eat um, many steaks at one time on steak night, which was Saturday night. (laughs) And, um, you know, steak night was a great night that we would all wait for Al would make the steaks himself. Mm. He would have sleeves on, these white sleeves that he would wear, and he would come out of the kitchen halfway through, and he would say the famous three words, and those three words were, is everybody happy? And, of course, the whole camp in unison would say, yes, Al, or thanks, Al, (laughs) I don't remember now. And the other thing that Steve Katz was pretty well known for was his tree-climbing ability. Mm. And so one year during counselor hunt, um, the story has it, this might have been in 1966, that a fellow named Chip Kobe spotted Steve up in a tree and climbed up the tree to get to Steve. And the story has it that whether it was Steve or somebody else, I don't want to incriminate myself or anybody else, but (laughs) Chip was kind of eased down the tree, kicked down the tree so that... Counselor wouldn't get caught. <laughs> so
0: very diplomatic, <laughs> right?
1: Right. May not have been Steve,
0: right? Whoever it was, whoever it was, Chip. It, Chip was certainly involved. Chip Kobe. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, let's go back a little bit. Talk about your camper days. So you were saying that you came in and not much, an a, not much of an athlete. Did you like sports? Like were you like just liking them in general? As I like them.
1: I suppose, as an activity to do. Um, During free time, however, I would be the kid who was off on the trail and, you know, where did he go? I don't know. He's walking around the trail by himself. I pretty much was a loner for the most part at camp. And I often wonder what was it that attracted me to keep coming back, Mm. you know, um, other than the fact that my brother thought it would be a good thing for me to do.
0: I was going to ask, because in those days especially, it was difficult to be a non-athlete at camp. It was a much tougher road. These days, camp's a little more all-inclusive, and the activities are a little more diverse, and the athleticism is down in a way that makes it a little more Mm -hmm. open door for everyone. But in those days, it was a really tough thing.
1: It was. Uh, Well, I was a piano player in those days as well, and they used to have two talent shows that were... um, They were taken seriously mm-hmm. by the campers because they were um, coached. I mean coached, not coached, but um, judged. Judged, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and happens. the judges were um, Al, Mickey, Pearl, Reva in those days, and I played piano, and I tended to um, win one talent show and then take second place in another. Hmm. And the prizes that were given away were fishing poles or a, a little lockbox or a camera,
0: oh, flash camera. Nice.
1: Wow! Right, good that's, stuff. That's a pretty solid disc yeah. for a camp. Seriously, um, so I still have some of those prizes: flashlights, you know, that light up on both ends. Um, so yeah, so I I excelled in that activity and the uh, Jubilee, hmm. and there was also an eighth week show, which was also taken very seriously. I think my first year we put on. Um, Peter Pan, I believe I was an Indian Hmm. during those days. But, uh, yeah, those shows were taken seriously. We never had the shows with the girls' camps at that time.
0: In the eighth-week show, it was really like a play. It It was a play. It was was usually a play, right? Yes. And then were there also maybe... uh, like jubilee highlights or something like maybe if a song was really good from the jubilee they might perform that or something no, or did i imagine that
1: not in those days okay. in those days we did the wizard of oz hmm. um i can't i think it was it might have been george kerman who was the cowardly lion <laughs> i mean these guys there were some funny guys at camp i remember yeah. sitting in the mess hall the mess hall seemed to be more of a camaraderie it maybe it rained more days at camp mm. those i don't know but we used to spend a lot more time in the mess hall because mickey or al would talk about things each meal we had to sit down as a cabin and, and sit it wasn't it wouldn't it wasn't like it is now where you sit and then when you're done you leave right we had announcements after each and every meal so hence the red light and, and the the buzzer but i remember just Funny guys, funny guys from the old timers like Mike Bagan and George Kerman, um, and then that morphed into Barry Feldman and Kenny Roffey. Mm. Um, you know, funny, funny guys. So,
0: yeah, I think that um, it, it, there's some of those little simple things that were that are changes that just changed with the times, like the announcements. So now we do it with we use a computer to print out the program, and we don't have to stop everyone and tell mm-hmm. them what they're doing next. But those pieces and also the uh, the layout of the mess hall. So you had the smaller mess hall and it was laid out differently where the tables, there was one big aisle down the middle yes. and the tables to the sides. Those little changes made camp a more, you had to be more of a collective unit. It was more like one big classroom in a way. That's right. You just That's had right. this sort of built-in times where you had to be on the same page with each other.
1: Well, it was very strictly run camp, um, not as a classroom, but perhaps almost as a military type. Um, unit you know and just going through the day at camp getting up in the morning we had to line up as a cabin with shortest to tallest arms length and we had to stand very still to because you know we were looked upon as as, whether it was whether we were well behaved or not well behaved and um you know reveille would blow in those days by a real trumpeter Hmm. right um And we would line up at the cabin, and then i go down by the waterfront, where Al would lead us in uh, calisthenics. After calisthenics, he would call us by cabin, depending how good or we were doing, or. And he would say dip or shower, and dip would mean we would run down to the lake and jump in, uh, and skinny dip, and you know, which would wake us all up, and then go back to the cabin and start clean up. Hmm. And uh, now were
0: you a dip guy or a shower guy?
1: I was mostly a dip guy cuz it was a lot faster.
0: Right. You know.
1: <laughs> and then of course on Sundays was uh, super clean up and super scrub up. Now super scrub up is not allowed anymore. Um super scrub up is when the little kids would come in a line and um be scrubbed by our counselors. Okay? So um that no longer occurs at camp.
0: Right. I, I there for many reasons. Yes, for um, many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I like how framing that by dipper shower no problem, but the scrub up part is the That's <laughs> a bit
1: of an issue. The the cleanup was uh, different than it is now as well because of course there were only maybe 14 beds, metal framed single right. beds and um we would have bed movers and we would have sweepers. And we would have backline guys and um cubbyhole guys where the towels are before you get up to the rafters. Right. So we would have guys move the beds all the way down. The sweepers would come and sweep all the dust down to under the beds. And then the movers would move one bed back and then the next bed back and the next bed back. Then we each were responsible for doing our own um, bed making and lining up our shoes, which were at the edge of the bed. And they had to be neatly lined up. Um, the cabins were graded initially, I believe by Mickey and uh, they're still graded to this day. Absolutely, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't remember if we had um, the cabin plaques like we. I mean, the, the honor, honor the honor cabins, yeah. like like we
0: have now. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think honor <clears throat> cabin comes after the transition. Actually, I think it's yeah. a, a later thing. But it's interesting the military influence you mentioned it. Um, do you think that that's just a sign of the times? I mean, camp starting in twenty eight, right. And, like, I've looked through the warriors from from, uh, World War II, and, like, on the back, it's got V and 44 and V and 45 on the back. You know, like, I mean, it's clearly...
1: Well, as you know, in one year, camp didn't didn't happen.
0: That's an interesting thing that you say, because uh, I have actually heard both versions of that that it did happen and that it didn't happen that it didn't happen because of the war and then that it did happen but people think it didn't happen because we don't have a warrior or something like that there was no plaque right That's the missing plaque in the uh, right in the mess mess hall hall. and uh that plaque those red and white plaques we're talking about in the uh, corner over by head staff yes it has cabin lists for each year now the reason that plaque is missing is because we don't have a warrior from that year so that, because those were directly pulled from each of the warriors those years. That's where those lists come from. But what we don't know is, for sure, is that there was a warrior that year. So was there, did camp actually happen or did it not happen is a little dicey. And it's possible that camp maybe had been shortened or something along those lines. I see. So that, I just wonder if that sort of military, I mean, was Al, Al wasn't a military guy, right? He didn't. I don't know. I don't think he did time. I, don't I know, know Mickey was in the service, but it was
1: strictly run. And when we had powwows, you know, and you were on silence, you were on silence. Mm. You did not say a word. And when you became twelve years old, you were initiated into the Braves. And some of the initiations are no longer done these right. years either. And um, you you probably know this as well that we were taken with a pillowcase and led by a flashlight down the trail in the dark at night and it seemed like it was the middle of the night but it was probably just maybe 10 or 11 o'clock sure okay and um taken down towards the camp campfire site and we would be told that there's an air raid and when there's an air raid we had to dig with our fingers into the dirt and and we would be told to dig faster and dig harder and um you know a lot of our little fingers got um a little bloody towards the end of this initiation The next day, we had to remain on silence as neophytes, and we were given activities that camp needed us to do, such as clean out the rocks from the shallow end, or uh, sweep the (laughs) entire rec hall, or the mess hall. And, um, you know, these were things that we grew up with, which were pretty strict, Mm -hmm. and they were enforced. Um, uh, There was one incident, speaking of strict and enforced, when I was in a canoe, At a younger age with somebody else, and we were um, splashing each other. Well, Al saw that we were splashing each other, and I mean Al Schwartz, not Al Futransky. Sure. And um, when we came in with the canoe, I remember getting what was called the paddle. Do you know about the paddle? No. The paddle was um, a punishment where one would have to bend over, and we were hit on the butt with a canoe paddle. Wow. I mean, not hard enough that we were going to leave scars or anything, sure. but we got the paddle, and, you know, two or three swift hits.
0: Wow.
1: I know. And um, so th- I don't think that's done anymore
0: D- uh, no. either. <laughs> There's no, no corporal punishment at no. uh, Campo Jibwa. No.
1: <laughs> so, um but the, but those were the days those right. were the days and and nobody made one way or the other and it was just if you know you got to behave it's yeah. just the way it was it's just the way it was yeah it was a
0: different i mean even when i was a kid a uh, very early grade school kid i got paddled by a teacher sure because that was just part of how it went and so the camp philosophy sort of the same thing at that time no doubt i right. mean you're in our hands for the summer That's you've the done way it was. the wrong thing this is how we show you, you did the wrong thing
1: and you didn't talk to your parents and you saw them for one day in the middle, and there was no four-week sessions, and that's right. just the way it
0: was. So, uh, so those camper years, you talk about, you know, what was it that brought you back? What were the things you found interesting? Were there any staff guys that you really connected with as a camper, any of your counselors that really like made a big impact for you? My
1: first year, my staff was um, my senior counselors were Scotty Feld, uh, Scott Lebenfeld and Sid Harris. Hmm. And my JC was uh, Dave Gertz. Scotty was a big camp guy, as was Sid. I believe the Harris name goes back in camp. Sure. Uh, Dave was a waterfront guy. So um, I remember that about about those guys. Scotty was strict, as I said earlier, about uh, having to go in the back door and holding my mm-hmm. arms out to have bats placed. When I... Came back into cabin five. I think Scotty also came up with me to cabin five as a counselor. I'd have to look back, but but for some reason I I I didn't get along well, or I was made fun of, or something happened that I ended up switching into cabin six. Oh. Yeah. I don't know how many cabin switches are done.
0: Yeah, that's a big deal. That's pretty rare.
1: Yeah, so um I wasn't happy i don't remember why or how or who but um but i remember having switched up into cabin six and i don't really when people say what cabins were you in i just say three five seven nine twelve thirteen thirteen and so on um because i am a little bit i guess i don't know if i'm a little embarrassed or i don't know what it was i can't tell you now i was 10 years old um,
0: now when you come back the next year do you go back in with the kids that you were sort of gr- grouped with before or the ones after does that make sense
1: How was it yeah cuz i i did go from 3 to 5 to 7 to 9 to 12 so i think i went back with the older kids with the mm-hmm. kids i was with before
0: but it was just another year down the road and another probably year different down staff the road. and
1: yeah the counselors in between and the kids in between i, I can't Nothing really jumps out at me, mm-hmm. um, but when I got up into the older cabins, cabin twelve, I think Paul James was my counselor. He was one of the music guys, one of the uh, theater music guys, and and as was I, mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so, we talked. I was, I, people would tell me in those years that I was old beyond my years, so mm-hmm. I was kind of more mature, you know, yeah, than the kids were um so i kind of hung out with paul
0: sure that makes sense those the, those camper kids that are that guy that yeah that sort of mature camper kid they tend to get along a lot better with the staff they sort of can have an intellectual conversation with the staff member mm-hmm. that maybe the other campers are not <laughs> able to do and things like that
1: the waterfront was a big attraction to me i used to ski i would swim um i i learned how to ski at camp i learned how to slalom at camp um Never beyond that, but, but, um, but again, I got the rides in the boat for sweeping out the shack. So, nice. I, uh, I was attracted to the waterfront. <laughs> what else can I tell you?
0: Um, so you go on, and then you're eventually in thirteen. Who were who were your uh, staff in thirteen? Elliot, Elliot, staff, Elliot M. Friedman.
1: And in those years, we spent two years in cabin thirteen. Right. So all of a sudden, we were thrust into a cabin with older guys. A year until we were the older guys because mm-hmm. there was no cabin 14. Um, so Al Futransky and I were in the same cabin oh, in okay. 1972, I think.
0: He's um, a year older.
1: Yeah, mm. Al is one year older than me. Right on. Um, who else were my counselors then? 13. There was the counselor's porch also. There was no bathroom in cabin 13 in those days. Right. But, if, you know, we, we had the pool, you know.
0: And tell us what the pool is.
1: Well, you know, it, it, it was well known that there was a pool underneath Cabin 13 and that only people in Cabin 13 knew about this pool. It was, it was terrific. It was a great pool. Sure. It was the length of the cabin, you see,
0: uh, it's, that's a pretty good size it's pool. A, it was
1: a great pool. Yeah. It was clean. It was it was awesome. On rainy days, the kids in Cabin Thirteen would go down into the pool, and we would have a great time. Yeah, and none of the little kids really were allowed in. Sure, so, of course, of course. Until you got to Cabin Thirteen and found out there was no pool in Cabin Thirteen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, which is unfortunate because we do have a go kart track in Cabin Fourteen. So <laughs> it's that's unfortunate about Thirteen missing right. out on that. Yeah, right.
1: Um. <laughs> I remember the kids in when I, my younger days who would climb the rafters and we would have rafter races.
0: Mm. I mean, talk about a parent's nightmare. Yes. <laughs> the kids would be
1: running uh, literally, you know, with one foot on the cross beam and one foot on the middle beam across the rafters as fast as they could and they would be timed. Um, that was safe, I thought. Yeah, you yeah, know. In those days, that was safe. That's,
0: that's 60 safe. That's it. That's about right.
1: <laughs> Speaking of 60s safe, you know, we mentioned trips to town. Mm. You've heard about going to town in the back of the red truck, the back of the green truck at 60 miles an hour. Right. <laughs> it's awfully fun. Just
0: full of kids.
1: Full of kids. No seatbelts. No. Right. You're just standing up in the back of the That's truck. That's right. That's right. In the back <laughs> of the old truck. Um, those were great days. Um, the walk, the walks to town right. were also great. Um we would walk the other direction towards Three Lakes. Halfway to Three Lakes, there was a a little place where we could buy things, mm-hmm. you know, candy. The Clearwater Store, right? Yes, that's right. Clearwater Store. Uh, in those days, we had the three night or two night, three day overnighters. Mm. The canoe trips for the older kids. Did you do that? I did, and I enjoyed that. Um, there was there was cool. There was there was rough and tough. There was you know being. Part of the camping camp,
0: yeah, yeah, and that's one of those things we talk about that comes and goes with camp. So there are there are periods of time where that's very popular at Camp Jima, and there's mm-hmm. periods of time where it's not. It's a, sort of back on the upswing now. We've had a uh, an influx of staff that are interested in that sort of adventure, overnighting, and things like that. So uh, I think next year is going to be uh, another bump up, even from this year mm-hmm. with that stuff. So we're doing some three three day can, or two night three day canoe trips again. And that's kind of come back into into vogue at Campo Dribble?
1: You know, we were talking about the theater part that I enjoyed. As I became a junior counselor and a senior counselor, I, I was a coach in collegiate week. I did not win as a coach. I won as a camper, again, in 1972. Elliot Friedman was our coach nice. on Navy. You can see the plaque in the mess hall. Um, but as a coach of collegiate week... You know coaches, I don't know, they probably still do think about their skit for the rest of the year, sure, and I did as well. I planned my skit out before camp, and my skit was a storybook theater, which was when um, I had a, I, had a um, I would choose one of my kids as a narrator, mm-hmm. and the story would go on stage, and when there was speaking, the character would would speak the part. Gotcha and the narrator would go ahead and tell the story and my story was the goose that laid the golden egg i think i took a second place in stunt night nice. for that but
0: um, and do you remember what your stunt was with elliot no
1: no i do not
0: no, <laughs> i mean I not. i've i've heard one or two stories about elliot's stunts as you can imagine some of the
1: you know it's too bad that some of those stunts weren't filmed some of those eighth week shows weren't filmed
0: yeah those There's some really cool stuff really that would cool. be fun to have our hands on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving on from being a camper, you become a junior counselor. Yes. So tell me about that transition, and did you enjoy the responsibilities? Was it, ugh.
1: Being a junior counselor, The one of the biggest responsibilities was waiting tables. So we had waiter's bugle call where we would report to the mess hall 30 or 40 minutes before a meal Mm -hmm. we would set the tables we would eat our meal and then serve our station and then clean up after the meal um we wouldn't sweep or would we sweep the mess hall i don't remember now if we would do that as well but we would clean up and wipe down the tables um did anybody tell a, a story about pizza day at camp there were two pizza days at camp no And the pizzas were made in the ovens at camp, but there would be two seatings of pizza days. They would only serve half the camp at a time, I believe, because the pizzas, Al wanted the pizzas to be served hot. Oh, sure. And you couldn't get enough hot pizzas all at one hmm. time. So they would serve half the camp and then the other half of the camp. That's interesting.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, no one's mentioned that, and that's definitely the only meal that was like that. Everything right. else, even breakfast, was all weighted, right? That's right. Yeah.
1: Um, oh, one other thing that's not at camp anymore, and then I'll get back to being a junior counselor. We would have two days of the year where three barbers were brought into camp. Did you know this?
0: Uh, I've heard rumors of this. yeah, must have this. heard yeah. that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and they'd be set up at the back of the rec hall where the ping pong tables are mm-hmm. or were. And um, we would all have to have a haircut before Visitors' Day, and before going home. Al wanted us to look good for our parents. <laughs> one time, one year, Richie Hamer had a had his he had long hair. He had hair maybe down to close to his shoulders. Mm. He he asked the barbers to cut it all off, and he came out with a buzz cut which is now popular, but in those days, he was freakish. I mean, he was really outstanding. I mean, standing out by himself at that time, (laughs) Richie Hamer. I don't know what's happened to Richie Hamer. Richie Hamer and I also uh, actually had something in common. During collegiate week, one of the early evening activities was a team activity or maybe a late-night activity, and was chin-ups, mm. and each team would have, from the youngest to the oldest, or maybe, I don't remember now which way it was, but we would each do chin-ups. My claim to fame was I did 39 chin-ups for my team. Wow. Richie Hamer, I think, did 41. We had a record board at camp, and that was one of the records. Wow,
0: that's a lot of chin-ups. Yeah,
1: that he set the record, and I almost got there. Wow. <laughs> there is no more record board at camp. No, I don't think yeah. so.
0: I think they, they, they do sort of a little board over at the gym for uh, for weight and okay. stuff like that. But no, none of the sort of sports or sporting event-affiliated records are kept anymore, I don't think.
1: I remember Roger Glick won awards in swimming. I remember Chucky Alexander would run awards in track. Hmm. Um, some of these guys, some of these great athletes that... Um, probably hobbling around now, but, um, sure as we all are,
0: <laughs> right. Uh, you not run time. So they say, but so being a junior counselor, so junior counselor. you also got to play in the leagues.
1: There was, there was a few years perhaps when we did. Yeah. I don't know that I was there. Maybe camp was short. It wasn't filled up during those years. Perhaps. I, I think you're right. I gotcha. mean, you must be right. Okay. Um, but we did have the junior J.C. versus S.C. Mm. sporting events every weekend. We would have J.C. S.C. softball, and um, did we have, I think we had J.C. S.C. volleyball. Mm. Those were often well attended. The S.C.s, uh, usually Denny was the pitcher.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Okay. And, um, you know, as a little kid watching the senior counselors who were, as old as our dads, you know, seemingly. Right. Yeah. they were These were grown men, right? Um, play ball. That was awesome for us little kids to watch. Yeah, it's really cool. We really looked up to these guys. Even now, I remember, you know, the older guys in the older cabins that we would look up to, so. Yeah.
0: Did you like taking care of the kids?
1: I did, personally. Um, it gave us responsibility. It gave us... Um, something that we were held accountable for. Um, Becoming a senior counselor was something that was um, really a kind of a neat job, you know, taking care of these kids who some of them may have been having a great time, some may not have been having a great time, but, you know, being up in the counselor's porch, they they might come and talk to you or, even even walking to the mess hall, they may say something that um, was uh, that they were thinking about, okay mm-hmm. and and they would trust you as their senior counselor that junior counselors didn't quite have that
0: gotcha. yeah. that
1: respect as senior counselors. You know, growing up at camp, coming there when you're nine, and then you know going up the ranks you kind of have a respect for those who went before you. Mm. So guys who came in at an older age as yourself, Sure, I, I, I appreciate your respect and your love for camp, but, but there's something that you can't know of. I mean, right. growing up as a little kid in those days, in those years. Yeah,
0: something that you needed to experience to understand.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: I can see that. So, you go on your junior counselor, your senior counselor uh what are the things from your counselor years that really stick out that really when you think back fondly on camp that really stick out?
1: We were coaches of teams uh there were only three leagues at the time. there was peach was it um peach, grapefruit, and watermelon. Yeah. right? In mm-hmm. those days. So I remember having coached a Peach League team, which is 12-inch softball as opposed to 16-inch. And we won. And my team signed the ball, which I still have.
0: Wow, that's awesome.
1: Right. And some of these names are, you know, maybe well-known in the city of Chicago now. I haven't looked at it in a while. Mm. But um, but I know some of them are attorneys and some of them are Doctors and yeah, so that's amazing. Teachers and you don't know what's going to happen to these kids, you know the, these little tiny punky kids, <laughs> and they
0: all grow up. It's so, so. true. They grow up and become respectable human beings, and you're like, what do you? What happened? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, that's great. But but you certainly enjoyed your time as a counselor, obviously, because you came back quite a bit. I did. I kept coming
1: back. In fact, one year I I came back. Um, after a couple of weeks I had to I had I don't remember what I had maybe I just didn't want to come back that year and then after a couple of weeks I changed my mind and I was allowed to come back up. (laughs) Um, So That makes sense. There's not much to do in in the city when when you're used to being out outdoors at camp. Yeah,
0: for sure. uh, I've often thought about what that might be like the first time. <laughs> I, right. Especially I, I, in all the summers I've lived in New York, I've never stayed there. And I just can't really wrap my head around mm-hmm. what it would be like to be riding a subway in the middle of June and be like, "Oh, this is great. This is just like it was two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I'll never have to find out.
1: A couple of years at camp, um, a couple of years before I was there in 1964, I remember there was a bad storm, and a couple of big trees got blown over. Mm. It was a tornado, I believe. We all Well, I wasn't there, but I was told that the kids had to hide under their beds, wow. under the metal frame beds, because they didn't know what was going to happen. Some of those rainstorms weren't as bad, and there was um, an activity called sliding in Schwartz Park. <laughs> Did you know about that? Please tell me. It's Well, it... It predated the slip and slide when kids would run. And see, Schwartz Park was towards the low end of camp, and it would often get waterlogged, and kids would slip and slide. This is before the mini golf was set up. Gotcha. And they would run and then slide on the grass for um, quite a
0: distance. Mm. But... (laughs) <laughs> out of the out of the purview of the watchful eye of Pearl Schwartz. This shorts. is correct. Yes. This is correct. Because a, a slide across the middle of Diamond One would get a yell, no yeah, doubt. That's right. Yeah. And Schwartz Park, uh, if you are not familiar with the, the terminology, we now call it OJ Park. Yes. But that's where the mini golf is and the horseshoe pits and the waterfront shack. And we had a bocce ball court there for a minute. I don't know if it's still there.
1: And the war canoes the are war canoes there. Are, the war canoes were there when I was there, but they were painted red at the time. Mm. And how many years ago was it that they were redone? Now, in the, the original wood. Yeah, the new shellac. original
0: wood was uh, six or seven years ago, maybe. They're beautiful. Yeah, they're amazing, and I think they're. Denny says they're, they're much older than camp. Like, I think when camp got them very early on, and they already had some age on them then. No so, kidding. Yeah, so they're close to 100 years old. Are they used at all? Yeah, absolutely. We still take them out. Mm-hmm. We'll still do, uh, uh, for trip day, usually a, ca- a younger cabin will load up in the war canoes and take it over to 12th Pines mm-hmm. or Braywood. And uh, uh, every once in a while, there'll be a wow. cabin-challenged war canoe race. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Cabin 13, they do uh, an event they call Red Blue. When the 14ers are in the Dells, the 13ers do a color war, just within the cabin. And they do all kinds of crazy sports and stuff that normally we don't do. And one of the things is, I believe, a war canoe race. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about when the time comes and you have children and you have boys, how early on did you know they were going to go to Ojibwa?
1: Oh, the day they were born. <laughs> they were all ready to go
0: did they get offered a choice or no I see (laughs) there was no choice
1: in fact we initiated them in those days by taking them to post camp
0: oh sure of course
1: in their strollers uh post camp is uh the two weeks after camp you know one week sessions at a time where one or two families would share a cabin Mm -hmm. sleep in the beds in the cabin and and um initiate the kids to camp yeah um there was, as the kids got a little older, there were hunts in the woods that Denny would
0: lead. Sure, the snipe hunt. That's of
1: right. Wood. Yes, and um, snipe is a rare beast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find them, but Denny always was able to. S- somehow lead us our kids around to the proper places. Yeah,
0: I think that there's something about that area up there in the near Eagle River that really, it's a big snipe area. This is true. Geographically, mm-hmm. you know, that you can't mm-hmm. just find them anywhere. They no. have to, there's certain natural elements.
1: They have become an endangered species. Ah, well, that makes sense. Yes. That makes sense. A but you of, can still see them up and around Eagle River. Mm. They come out around the time that post camp occurs.
0: Right, and maybe that's the mating season mm-hmm. or something like that, be. so it, it draws them out. Sure, that makes sense. So the kids would go on the snipe hunts.
1: Yeah, the kids would do that, and we would, um, gosh, what would we do? We would, we would take them to town, of course, you know, and go to Zimpleman's Fudge, mm. which uh, has turned into, uh, what is it now? Is that uh, where Tremblay's is? Tremblaze, yeah. It was Zimpleman's at the time. There were two theaters in town years ago, um, which has now turned into one theater in town. So, yeah, so we grew up, We the kids would grow up at camp, and um, our kids started, my three boys, I had one daughter and three boys, and my boys started when they were seven or eight years old. My my older boys started, I think, I, I believe Ethan may have started at eight or nine mm. Gabe started when he was eight. Asher started when he was seven. Nice. So...
0: I had... Ethan was in my cabin either my very first year or my second year in cabin two. And maybe both, if that's... If he repeated young, he might have been in both of those.
1: He may have. Yeah.
0: And then, of course, I had him again in cabin 14.
1: Right. (laughs) Right. Camp means a lot to my kids. Yeah. It really does. In fact, I have been fortunate enough... To have been blessed with popular or rather likable kids who uh, respect others, and each one had been elected to the Braves to the to be chief of the Braves. Yes. So that is
0: quite a lineage.
1: It's really yeah. really um, neat.
0: And I can also say that Gabe is the last person to play live any of the bugle calls. He used to play Taps for That's quite a right. while, and uh, he's the last person that we've had do that. So. I, I would love him to b- come back and bring it back, oh. but... Uh,
1: <laughs> I don't see that, but I, it would it would be really, really neat. I try
0: to drop it at least once a summer. Like, that you know what would great. be really fun? Even if you just did it once. So we yeah. will see. We'll uh, work on him. But tell me a little bit about what that was like for you as a father now to get to sort of pass this down to them, live a little vicariously through them, but also share this thing that you knew was so amazing with them.
1: That's right. The multi-generational yeah. camp experience my wife would say to me, you know, I hear stories from you when you went to camp, but you know, Ned, times have changed. Just, you know, go with the flow. (laughs) It's not like it was. So to a large degree, I have accepted that, you Mm -hmm. know, when the other courts were built and the trees were knocked down at camp, you know, it, it, bothered me in a way but you know i know that camp has to grow and that it was the right thing to do for camp at that time um some of the other traditions that have changed that have loosened up some of the the strictness that i grew up with that has loosened up bothered me a little bit but um but again camp has to change yeah um so th- the wreck periods you know that we always kind of had things to do except for rest period. Um, watching my kids play ball though was great. Mm. You know, um, there was one time. You know, I'm also fortunate enough to have gone through med school, become a doctor, and and come back to camp every year as a doctor. For initially it was one week, and then it was two weeks. And past years as my kids have been there, it's been two weeks. Mm. And um one year Cindy and I <clears throat> were leaving camp and as we're walking out we walked past Diamond Two and um Ethan did he was it a is it was a catch, I think. It was a jumping catch that he caught in the outfield and, and that was the last thing we saw as we left camp for that two weeks. I mean, things like that. Yeah. Um just just having your kids have the experience of the, of the brotherhood and the bonding that they have, that that I believe it has brought them a lot closer together as a, as threesome as, as three brothers. Yeah. You know, I grew up with two other half brothers, but 11 and 16 years older than me. And my kids grew up as the, you know, with the, just a year in between them. Right. So camp has really connected them.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's just such a cool, special thing also to be able to share as father and son, this, Experience that takes the father and son out of it—that you become brothers. That's right. By going through, <clears throat> by both going through this experience.
1: One of the fellows who you spoke with, Ron Guilford.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I happen to be his doctor, so he may call the office and ask for some prescription or a refill, and um, I'll get a note from the front desk. At the bottom of the note says qui um, qua. And the girls at the front desk want to know what is qui um, qua? Well, qui um, qua must go back a long ways. It was a a chant that would be set on Warriors Night by the Warriors at camp. Mm. Do you know about Qua? Um, no. Umqui No? You don't know about Umqual? No. That's well, great. There was a Chant that I'm sure Mickey could tell you the whole chant, and um, Ron may know the whole chant as far as I know, because um, recently, of course, the Indian at camp has uh, taken a walk.
0: Sure, the times have changed, and uh, societally acceptable things have changed, and sensitivities have changed, and the use of the Native American as, uh the Native American and the Native American symbology. At camp, uh, the philosophy is that perhaps that is a bit insensitive, and it's Mm -hmm. time for that to be more something for the museum and not something for the modern day, is how I would put it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So those things have kind of gone away a little bit.
1: But uh, many of the things that my boys will remember are things that I remember, but just by that little interlude here, you know, the... Guys that are 85 years old, you know, I'm 59 years old. My kids are 20, 21, and 23. You know, we all share a lot of the same memories at camp, yeah.
0: even though times have changed. Absolutely. You're a grown-up now. You've reached this age. And looking back in a big-picture way, how did camp affect your life?
1: It, it affected me in that I know that it'll always be there. I hope that it'll always be there. It's a place that I, you know, we go back to camp even now, and certain parts of camp have remained timeless. Uh, The things that I remember growing up are still there. I remember the, um, you know, when I say that camp was strict, it, it taught me to be responsible. It taught me that there's a place to do things that you know you you learn that doing the right thing you may not always be right but if you do the right thing then you're okay mm-hmm. um, camp has taught me um respect over the years for uh, respecting those kids who who may not be athletic you know as I wasn't the best athlete at camp sure camp gave me the opportunity to to be um who I was to be on stage, to be, you know, in the chorus and, uh, to enjoy the waterfront. Maybe I wasn't the best on the baseball field, but, um, but there was always a place for me. Oh, I don't know. I, um, you know, I may not be the, the, uh, the campiest camp person. Um, but I keep coming back.
0: Yeah. So I always, at the end, I just ask everyone, tell me one or two great camp stories.
1: Mm. Cindy and I were at camp when it was choosing the order of was it the coach's pick for was it for the week? No, it was for the Olympics well my kids had chosen that day to be to have their day off so Asher and Gabe were off that day.
0: And they're both coaches. And they're both coaches, right?
1: And Cindy and I were asked to pick for them. (laughs) So um, Gabe, I believe, had Trinidad. So, of course, I couldn't just go out and pick a number.
0: No. No.
1: I took it upon (laughs) myself to... um, after I had asked Chris for the um, to get me online, yes, yes, <laughs> you can explain all that.
0: A little necessary Wi-Fi for this. Yeah,
1: I was able to um, get onto the Wi-Fi and learn as much as I could in the hour before the picks about Trinidad, which is the larger of the two <laughs> islands, Trinidad, Tobago. Right, that's true. Right, which and when I tell you, I, le- I learned an awful lot, which I told the campers before picking my, my number. Yes. And then Cindy was asked to come up and pick her number.
0: So. <laughs> and I will tell you that when, you, when we sit down here together and you tell me that you had an affinity for the stage, I was not surprised after what I saw this uh-huh. year. So not only do you come up and educate camp on Trinidad, <laughs> but the sense of the dramatic to pull the number To slow play the number, and you drew the two, which is the second most (laughs) exciting (laughs) number to draw. (laughs) It was it brought the house down.
1: And I think Cindy took the three.
0: Cindy did take the three. Now she didn't provide quite the same dramatic flair. No, she um, didn't. But the presence of both of you was a once in a lifetime.
1: Although I must say that Cindy has had her day at camp. You know, there were a few years in a row that there was an activity on trip day called cooking with Cindy cooking with Aunt Cindy, I should say. Cindy is uh, my wife, who's Denny's uh, Mm sister-in-law. So she's Aunt Cindy to Rachel and David. And um, there was an activity whereby Cindy and Rachel would prepare three or four foods that the kids could make on their own. And I'll tell you, it was one of the most well-attended events. Absolutely. The years she did that. Cooking
0: with Cindy is a huge trip day event. Right. For those kids. I mean, cause A, they get to have the fun of making stuff and hanging out with Cindy and Rachel and those guys are being fun with them and whatever, but B, they also get to eat the they whole time. They loved it.
1: <laughs> of course, everything that they made had to be, um, okayed by, by Denny. Of course. And the chef.
0: Certainly. So. No peas. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was very cool. Well, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, did we miss anything? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> but this is this was great. This was a lot of up fun. Well thank you so much. I really thank appreciate you, you taking the time and joining us and this is the best. This was great. Okay, that is it. Another episode of the History Podcast in the books. Ned was fantastic. Great stories about he and the family. As always, if you want to get in touch with the History Project, you know how. Head over to the website, History.org, or just drop me an email, Christopher, at CampoJibwaHistory.org. I mentioned the national tour earlier. I'll be heading into Phoenix at the end of this week, and Southern California the week after. If you guys are out there or if you know someone out there and you want to get interviewed for the podcast, let me know. Drop me an email. Again, Christopher at I want to make sure I get everyone I can while I'm out here. So drop me those notes and let me know. I've already had some great times in Atlanta and Naples and New Orleans and Texas. And it's only going to get better from here. Okay, that is it. i got to get some sleep. i got another 500 miles to go tomorrow. Because tomorrow night, I'm going to sleep on top of a mountain in Vail, Colorado.